Amen. You may be seated. The song wasn't quite long enough for me to get all situated. <laughs> Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Philippians, the second chapter, verses 1 through 11. Hear now the word of our Lord. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of His Holy Spirit. Amen. So full disclosure, because of this revival that starts tonight, I've been working on two or three sermons this week, uh, trying, to, trying to get them ready. And this one is probably one that's received the least amount of attention because I was so jacked up, excited about tonight that it occurred to me around um, uh, uh, Friday that um, I also had one this morning. And... Uh, um, it was my good fortune that our passage this morning was one that's actually really close to my heart. That I've taught countless times uh, to um, the teenagers over the years that um, I felt like uh, I could preach it in my sleep. Now I've had enough coffee that I probably won't preach it in my sleep, but um, it is a very special one to me. As I was thinking about this passage, I was thinking about this, uh, this kid we have that comes to Wonderful Wednesday. 
see over at Central, we've got this after-school program on Wednesdays where um, where the bus drops kids off at the church after school, and uh, we play games with them. We have fun, and we also uh, we teach them about Jesus. And um, it's a it's a fun part of my week. But occasionally there are these these kids that um, that make it a little less fun. And one of these uh, one of these kids in particular is uh, this little kid named Charlie. Now Charlie is really he, he's really high strung and he's really wound up tight. And I think there's just a the chemical cocktail up here is just a little bit different, um, differently wired than uh, than than most little kids. And um, Charlie is uh, is very well obstinate. He uh, he he just doesn't uh, ever want to do what the rest of the group is doing. And so if, uh, if, 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 if we're moving from the sanctuary to the fellowship hall to play a game, Charlie's always sitting there with his arms crossed and he's not going. And he wants to go home and he wants his mom to pick him up. And, um, and that just makes Wonderful Wednesday just a little bit less wonderful, right? When you have to, when you have to deal with the kid like that. And, and the thing with Charlie, though, is... He's got this volcanic rage. I don't know quite where it comes from, but anything could set him off. And you could go from uh, zero to 60 in, in three seconds. And, uh, you know, it, it can be this little thing. You could tap him on the shoulder and suddenly he, 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 he gets upset and he's screaming and yelling and kicking and punching, right? And so... There's always this, uh, this, this decision that has to be made, this calculation. Do we make Charlie join the rest of the group and do what everyone else is doing and risk sagging him off? Or do we just let him sit there and stew, right? And so different times, based on the situation, we have to make, we have to come up with different answers. One particular day, we were moving from the sanctuary to the fellowship hall, and we couldn't just turn out the lights and leave him in the sanctuary, and so he had to move. And Charlie was not moving. And Charlie said, call my mom. I want to go home, right? And we knew mom's at work, and mom can't come and get, get Charlie. And so, uh, so it fell on me to try and convince Charlie to move. And I made the mistake of tapping him on the shoulder. And as soon as I tapped him on the shoulder, he straightened up, he got up, and he ran, and he ran down the hall, and he ran toward the door that, that goes out into the street. And so I had to run after him. And, and he was on the way out that door, and uh, I, I pulled his arm to pull him back in, and then he started yelling and screaming at the top of his lungs. Stop touching me! Stop touching me! He's touching me! So my arms go up, <laughs> right? Nobody touching nobody over here, <laughs> right? And, uh, and, um, and then Charlie is kicking me and he's yelling at me saying, I hate you, I hate you. And finally my backup arrives. And uh, it, it's, it's this... It, it's this kindly uh, lady that ha has a way with children and she manages to coax him uh, into the office to sit in the chair and says, okay, we'll call your mom. 
she'll come and get you. And the whole time he's screaming, he's yelling, he's saying, he's looking at me and saying, I hate you, I hate you, I never want to come back here again. And I'm thinking, right back at you, kid. And, uh, <laughs> but, um, but this lady, this lady says, oh, you don't hate Danny. Danny loves you. Danny just wants you to know about Jesus. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't love that little punk. (laughs) But later, that evening, it kind of stuck with me. Danny loves you. And I kind of realized, you know, I wish that were me in this instance. I know that's supposed to be me in this instance. Right? the kind of guy that loves Charlie. I, I started to think about, well, how would Jesus have handled this? You know, if he were there in his uh, white robe and his flowing locks, would he have been able to, to talk Charlie down? Would there have been something about him that was just, just calming and this light would fall down on Charlie and, and Charlie wouldn't want to kick and scream and hit him? Probably not. You know, Charlie would probably uh, kick and scream and hit Jesus. But Jesus probably would have loved him anyway. Right? And the reason I know that is every time I scream and I kick and I hit Jesus, Jesus loves me back. Right? And so I had this real moment of conviction. Right? I'm at Wonderful Wednesday. I'm supposed to be loving these kids the way Jesus loved these kids. And in Charlie's case, I just couldn't bring myself to do it, right? It's kind of a little punk. Do you have anyone like that? Maybe it's not a kid. You're probably better than I am. But, um, but maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's, um, it's someone that just, just at work just kind of goes out of their way to make you feel unvalued and unappreciated, right? Or, 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 maybe it's a, or maybe it's a neighbor that won't put that thing away in their yard no matter how many thing, times you ask them. And you just have to look at that big stupid thing every time you drive down the street. Um, or maybe it's uh, someone in your family who know, you know you're supposed to love because they're family, but they just keep taking advantage of the, only, of the other family members and like you're the only one that sees it and it drives you crazy, right? And you know you're supposed to love them. You know that if Jesus were here standing in your place, he would love them. And yet you just don't know how. You don't quite know how to love people the way Jesus loves them. And that's what this passage this morning is about. It's about loving people the way Jesus loves them. So we've talked about agape, right? This unconditional love. You're you're supposed to have it coming out your ears. It's supposed to come flooding out of here. We're supposed to love people, love people, love people. And, and you, you know, we hear that and we think, yeah, but you don't know X, right? You don't know Charlie. You don't know my neighbor with the big stupid thing in the yard. You don't know that coworker. You don't know this person in my 
family. If you did, you'd say love everyone but X, right? But Jesus even loved Judas. Jesus even loved the Pharisees. Jesus even loved Pontius Pilate. Jesus even loved his disciples who turned and ran, right? How did he do it? And so Paul, uh, continuing on, he says, and we talked about this last week, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Live your life in a manner worthy of what God has done for you. And then our scripture reading this morning begins, therefore. And whenever you see the word therefore in scripture, you need to go back and find out what it's there for, right? Therefore. Because you're living this life in a worthy manner, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, here is what you are to do. Right? And so Paul is going to lay out what it looks like to live that life, to love people the way Jesus loves them. Only he's got this problem. See, he's got this song stuck in his head. Ever had a song stuck in your head? Like, it's always the last one you heard when you, when, when, when you turn the car off, right? It doesn't matter if you like that song or not, right? If, if you heard Shake It Off by Taylor Swift, uh, then all day long that is what is running through your head, whether you like it or not. Um, the one I've got right now, the one that I just cannot dislodge, um, my lovely wife, uh, she introduced William to the Rocky movies. And uh, William has been watching these Rocky movies nonstop. And his favorite one is Rocky IV. You know, the one where Rocky ends the Cold War by, uh, by fighting Ivan Drago, right? Um, he's, uh, he's watching these movies constantly, and he's going around the house and he's singing Eye of the Tiger, wherever he's at. It's the eye of the tiger, it's the thrill of the fight, right? It's just everywhere, right? Dun, dun, dun. Um, this is why I'm not in a choir. Um, but I can't help it. As many times as I hear that a day, it gets stuck in my head. Doesn't matter what I'm doing, right? I'm out walking, um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm at the office, right? If there's any silence in my life, I start to sing that song. It's the eye of the tiger, it's the thrill of the fight. I've got that song stuck in my head all day long, every day, and it won't get out. Any of you experienced that? Well, Paul has this song stuck in his head. See, if, if, if you look at your Bible really quick, some of you, you, yours has this, some of yours doesn't. Okay, um, it's just depending on the translation, I think. But in my Bible, when we go from verse five to verse six, um, we start going into uh, into poetry. Right, we've got a big block of a uh, big block of prose right here, and then Paul starts talking in poetry. Does anyone else's Bible have that? There's a reason for that. Suddenly, the Greek gets all poetic. And actually, the Greek gets all sing-song. And 
Bible scholars have told us that what's going on is this. Paul is suddenly quoting a song. Right? He's got this song stuck in his head. Right? I'm going to tell you what it is to be like Jesus, have the, have your, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, and then he starts singing this song. Now, what I think is really cool about this is most of us, when we think of like, what are the first things written about Jesus, we think of the Gospels. Now, the Gospels were written around the time that the first witnesses to Christ started dying. And uh, people like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John suddenly thought to themselves, we've got all these eyewitnesses that have been going around to our churches and telling the stories of Jesus. Now they're starting to die. We need to start writing this stuff down. And so, uh, so they're all written. Um, I think the earliest one, Mark, is probably uh, written around 70 AD, right? So um, 40 years or so after the facts. Before the Gospels were written, Paul's letters were written. So those are among the earliest documents in the New Testament. Now, Paul, writing to the Philippians, is quoting a song, which makes it even older than the letters of Paul. See, when we read read this little fragment of this song, we are reading what the first Christians who gathered in a room just like this saying about Jesus. We're reading like the first Christian hymn, right? If you ever wonder what those first Christians believed about Jesus, thought about Jesus, said about Jesus, it's right here, right? This, uh, this little hymn is near to the bedrock. It's pretty cool, isn't it? So uh, let's look at it right quick, beginning with verse 6. Who? Jesus. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, Paul's got this song stuck in his head about Jesus, right? And the song is this, Jesus was fully God. He was in very, in, in, by very nature God. And yet, he humbles himself. This is often called the kenosis hymn because, uh, because that uh, Greek word kenosis uh, uh, that says he, uh, he made himself nothing is one word, kenosis. It means he emptied himself. Jesus emptied himself of his godness, of his divineness, to walk this earth as a man. He emptied himself. 
Um, Y'all are probably discovering about me everything, everything makes me think of a Marvel superhero movie. I can't help it. And there's there's this really cool one that's still out called Black Panther, and I've seen it like three times. And, uh, and there's this scene. See, Black Panther is about this, uh, this superhero named T'Challa. And T'Challa is, is, is an African prince, and, um, and he has uh, the powers of the Black Panther, which means he can, like, jump really high and scratch people and, and win all these superhero fights. Um, and so, uh, so T'Challa um, is a prince, but he wants to become king. And, or, and in order for T'Challa to become king, um, he has to, uh, he has to uh, accept anyone from any tribe that, that challenges his right to be king, and he has to fight with them. Now, to make it a fair fight, because he's got all these uh, supernatural panther powers, T'Challa has to uh, take this, this potion, and he drinks this potion, and he's stripped of his powers, He's stripped of his powers so he can have this fair fight on top of a waterfall and become king. It's pretty cool, right? And that made me think of Jesus. The way Jesus, in order to be exalted, in order to become king, he had to be stripped of his divinity, of his power, so he could walk this earth like a man. See, he emptied himself out. He took on the very nature of a slave. He didn't consider equality with God, it says, um, something to be grasped, right? It wasn't even something he could reach out and attain while he was here on this earth. He walked this earth as a man. He humbled himself, and he was obedient to death on a cross. Right? At no point did he ask for his divinity back. Right? At no point did he ask for all that power back. Right? The, the Bible tells us he, he, he could have called the legions of angels to save him from the cross, but he was obedient. Right? He walked this earth as a man. Why? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. Soren Kierkegaard tells this great parable. It goes like this, to, to explain this to us, why Jesus did this for us. It's about this king. And this, his, this king is out on this balcony one day, and uh, he's looking out over his kingdom, and he sees this beautiful woman. And he instantly falls in love. And so he thinks to himself, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put on all my royal raiments. I'm going to put on my big heavy crown. I'm going to take uh, my scepter and I'm going to ride on my, my big white horse and I'm going to take my, uh, my armies behind me and I'm going to march right up to that woman and demand that she be my queen. Then he thinks for a second. Well, if I do that, if I simply demand that this woman be my queen... I'll never know if she loves me. I'll never know if she really wants to be my queen. So the king thinks for a second, okay, here's what I'll do, all right? I'll leave the army behind, 
little ostentatious, but I'm going to take the white horse, the royal raiment, the crown, the scepter, and I'm going to go out there and, and uh, I, I'll, when I see the woman, I will dismount from my horse. I will get on, on both knees and I will propose to her and ask her if she'd like to be my queen. Then he thinks for a second. Well, if I do that, well, I'll never know if she really wants to be my queen or because she loves me or, or, or if she's just doing it, you know, so she'll have all the power and all the riches and all the glory. And, uh, and, and, and so he decides, here's what I'm going to do. Forget the royal raiment, forget the white horse, forget the crown. I'll dress up as a beggar. Right, I'll dress up as a beggar and and, and I'll I'll uh, approach the woman in disguise and uh, ask if she will uh, if if she will marry me. And uh, he's all set to do this, and then he realizes, what am I thinking? I'm the king. My face is on all the coins, right? I have the most famous face in the entire kingdom. I, I can't simply uh, uh, go dressed up as a beggar and expect that she won't recognize me. And, what if, and I'll never know. What if she's pretending not to recognize me, but she's really just marrying me because she wants to, to be the queen and have all the riches? And so here's what the king does. He abdicates his throne. He gives the crown to his brother. He gives all of his riches away. And he becomes a beggar. And then he's wandering the streets. And he goes and asks the woman's hand in marriage. Cool parable, huh? Kierkegaard doesn't tell us what happened. Some of you are like, what does she say, right? The ball's in your court. What do you say, Right? Because Jesus stripped himself of everything, all his royal raiments, all of his crown, and became a man to win our love. Took on the very nature of a servant, of a beggar. Therefore, he is exalted to the highest place. He is given the name that is above all names to get the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of the Father. Therefore, because he humbled himself that much, that is why Jesus is worthy of our praise and our adoration. Therefore. So, um, our last Wednesday of Wonderful Wednesday um, was Holy Week. And uh, the children's minister, uh, Wendy, uh, decided what we're going to do for Holy Week was we're going to set up all these stations in these different rooms, and the kids will be divided up into groups, and each station will be a different part of, uh, of, of, of the last week of Jesus. And uh, in one station will be uh, the Last Supper, one station will be um, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, and uh, in each station they'll, they'll learn a lesson and, and participate. So I drew the short straw, and I wound up with the foot washing station. Can you imagine anything worse than winding up with the foot washing station? 
Like other other uh, people got to do like the communion or like uh, like help them nail their sins to the cross. These really meaningful things. I was at the station where he said, "Take off your stinky socks, and I'm going to pour some water on it." Right. Um, I was not looking forward to the foot washing station. Right. In fact, I tried to trade, and no one would trade with me. <laughs> so. Um, so I got a pitcher, a basin, some towels, a whole lot of Febreze, and uh, and I got set up um, my at the foot washing station. And one by one, these groups came in, and I kind of did the same thing. Um, I told them uh, the story of that night. It was right before the Last Supper. Um, Jesus wants to teach the disciples about humility, and so he. Uh, takes off all his outer garments, strips down to that loincloth so he looks like a slave. And he gets down on his knees and he washes his disciples' feet. And I told the kids, because in those days, that was slaves' work, right? That they would wash your feet, your dirty feet, so you wouldn't track mud through the house. And I said, hey, I'm your teacher. I'm Mr. Danny. I'm an adult, I'm an authority, but right now, I'm your servant. I'm going to serve you. And so I had each of these kids, uh, one by one, sit in the chair, and I would pour the water over their feet and, uh, and, and take the towel and uh, rinse their feet off. And, you know, it was actually kind of meaningful. And, um, but the last group, I kid you not, Charlie was in the group. And I started thinking, oh, no. I just touched this kid. He starts yelling and shrieking. What's he going to do when I try and wash his feet? Right? And so I'm, I'm thinking in my head, I might even skip him. Right? Just feel it out. Right? And if I look at the teachers and they kind of nod, then, then, then I won't do it. Well, Charlie's turn comes up. And um, we're all just sort of looking at him like, like, are, are you going to go? And he gets up and he sits in the chair. And I'm telling you, my hands are trembling. Like, I, I'm picturing, like, shattered porcelain everywhere and water. And, um, and my hands are trembling. And I, I begin to pour the water over his feet. And then I, I look up, like, to gauge his reaction. I'm telling you. Charlie has a smile like from one side of his face to the other. And then Charlie starts to giggle. He's like, <laughs> that tickles, <laughs> that tickles, right? And uh, I couldn't help it. I started to laugh <laughs> because he was laughing. And, and then I uh, gently uh, 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 dragged his feet and, and he went on and, and he didn't, like that smile didn't leave his face the whole time. For just a second, for just a moment, when I was sitting there kneeling, washing Charlie's feet, I loved him. For just a second, I loved him. Want to know how to love the unlovable? Want to know how to love people the way Jesus loves them? It starts with, Humility. 
It starts with getting on your knees. It starts with putting them up here and you down there and being humble. Everyone in here has a Charlie, right? Everyone in here has someone that you're thinking about that you're having trouble loving. It starts with an act of humility. Maybe you go mow their lawn. Why not? Maybe you bake them a cake. Why not? Write them a card. Write them a letter. Maybe you invite them to the revival tonight. I don't know. Just spitballing. Right? But it starts with an act of humility. It starts with an act of humility. And that humility can turn into love. Because when we were kicking, when we were screaming, when we were running away, Jesus emptied himself. He made himself nothing. And he died for us. That is why he was exalted to the highest place he was given the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen.